now that I'm getting older, I'm a lot more open to really sharing my story. Like growing up, you know, growing I really didn't tell people a lot. So so it helps, you know, me doing matter than dealing with a lot of helping with a lot of kids who parents are dealing with addiction. Like now I just it's just weird because I can just easily say it now, right? But no, nah, growing up, no, nah, I definitely didn't do that. <laughs> Episode twenty of twenty-four. We were getting ready to expand the team. And Jamal and I were talking about potential candidates, people with complementary strengths that would be an asset to our team. And that is how I met Leon. I scheduled a meeting and, and, and wanted to spend some time just getting to know him beyond the work that we were getting ready to do together. And there was the part of his story where he shared growing up in a house um, with someone battling schizophrenia. And this show being about mental health, and, and we've talked about anxiety, depression, all the, I'll call them common ways that trauma shows up in our lives. And the one thing I tried to wrap myself, my my thinking around was, facing more challenging issues with mental health. And I think about the movie, The Soloist, I think about, um, you know, a lot of different movies that highlight, you know, mental health challenges. And the one thing that seems hardest for me to grapple with is schizophrenia. And to hear his story and to hear how he overcame it how he battled his own mental health challenges, how he battles overthinking, even in the midst of building a successful career in PR, working multiple jobs, doing multiple projects, meeting multiple people, moving around in big circles and meeting big names. I mean, it's just amazing to see how someone could do such amazing things and still grapple. Today, I share his story, the story of Leon Valentine. I am Brandon T. Bailey, and this is Controversy. Well, all right, all right, all right. Leon, what's good with you, man? Nothing much, man. How you doing? I cannot complain. I am uh, very excited uh, that you took the time to share with the TS Strong community. I, I I got a just a little bit of your story, so I'm I'm excited to have you share that with our listeners. Um, I I already told them in the uh, in the introduction that you're part of the team. We're doing some stuff together, but I really I, I really think just digging deeper into that story is going to is going to be helpful to folks. So anyway, in my network marketing days, man, I was taught to surround yourself with the thinking that outthinks you. So I want to expose mm -hmm. my listeners to the way that you think so they can decide for themselves 
whether or not they agree with you. So you ready for a few warm up questions? Yeah, absolutely. Let's go. <laughs> All right, Leon, what motivates you, man? Uh, what motivates me? I would say peace. I would definitely say being fulfilled. And that comes in many different variations. But for me, I would say what motivates me is to wake up and to go to sleep thinking that I accomplished something that I probably couldn't do the day before or even in the past. Yeah, absolutely. That that self-gratification is real, real big. Yeah. <laughs> Leon, do you have fears? And if so, how do you manage them? Yeah, you know, I think for me now, I'm getting older. I'll be, I'm close to my 30s in the next couple of years. So um, my, close. Fears <laughs> uh, my fears have changed from me being like a child to early adulthood, the 18-year-old range, and now being almost 30. You know, they have changed. I think the obvious person would say like fear of failure, but... Um, I would say for me, I have a fear of just being stagnant or being in the same place that my family was in before I, me growing up. I would hate to be a person who was seven is growing up to be 30, looking at the person that's in the same space they were in. I would hate to be 40, 50 years old in the same space that my uncles or whoever relatives were and they didn't grow. And they were in the same mental space, economic space, and there was no growth or no, you know, no, kind of just drifting in the same space. Man, I can't wait to dive into that because I think that yeah. it's so interesting to to hear people talk about that, like wanting to do better than people around you and that not be judgmental. Right. That's just a yeah. self-realization and not like a judgment on you. So I can't wait to talk about that a little bit more. Um, Leon, mindfulness is a buzzword right now. So a lot of people are talking about it. A lot of people are using it. What does it mean to you and how do you use it, if at all? Mm, I mean, I think when I hear the word mindfulness, I think of someone who is not necessarily strategic, but more so observant, um, observant of experiences that they went through and seeing people who went through things as well and using that to kind of, you know, being mindful of like what I need to do so I won't have to go through that or what I need to go to to not go through that again. Okay. You know, how do I use it in my life? I mean, I, I'm a very, I think all the time, I'm, I feel like that's kind of not a negative, but I feel like for me, I overthink and it kind of plays a lot into my head and, and all the time. So, you know, I think in that aspect. I'm sure there are no listeners to this show that know anything <laughs> about overthinking. <laughs> It's a very common trait for those of us who have any kind of struggle with mental health. It's just just overdoing it in our mind. (laughs) So tell me a story then about failure and uh, how you overcame it. So I guess for me, you know, when it comes to failure, I think for me, I'm learning it's, you know, since the pandemic, um, and even before the pandemic, so things that kind of can help me become better. And as a result of failure for me, a lot of times, I guess you could say the procrastination piece or just overthinking and self-doubt has played a lot of times into me, you know, being or not being in certain spaces and certain things. I think for me, failure would, I guess it was just me being in a room I felt like I wasn't ready for, mm. um, being provided an opportunity that I felt like I wasn't ready for people thought I was ready for but because I was so intimidated by the people that were in the room or just the opportunity in itself I kind of psyched myself out and I wasn't prepared for it and I failed and I could be honest enough to say that I failed I didn't deliver as best as I thought I could have not because I couldn't do the job but because I immensely felt like I wasn't ready for it and it just ultimately made me um not succeed like I wanted to Man, I hope we get time to unpack that a little bit. So do you think you have in the past or or still presently suffer from what what is commonly called the um, uh, 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 imposter syndrome, right? Where you, where you feel like you don't 
don't really fit in in a in a in a space that you've rightfully earned your way into all the time all the time you know and it's sad because you know people they message me or people see me all the time and they say you do so much you know you've done a lot you know for almost to a 28 and i'm like i beat myself up all the time because i'm like i don't feel like i'm ready for it and it's crazy because i have the work the experience and i've really worked hard for it but it's just something that i've still to this day have to overcome yeah mm-hmm. Hey man, I love it. I love it because it, it just shows that you can be successful and still have these things that you're working on that maybe other people who see your success have no idea the work that goes into yeah. it. So I, I think that's a big, big, big important uh, thing to, to hear someone who is doing well and doing big things uh, say. So... Leon, I hope our listeners have a better idea now of how you think. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure some folks are already starting to take sides and, and decide whether or not they agree or disagree. But I want to start beginning to warm up a little bit on the controversial stuff. So we want to first talk about faith. Okay. So I want I talk a lot about my journey of faith and the controversy it has caused in my life. But I'd like the T.S. Strong community to understand your perspective a little bit. So you ready for the faith conversation? Sure. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, yeah I'm gonna... All right, bro. So tell me your spiritual background and how faith has impacted who you are and where you are today. You know what's interesting? Um, And it's funny because now, you know, I'm very intrigued and want to go into like faith and religion. Um, Growing up, I had an uncle and an aunt who were very heavily involved in church. I'm talking about like ushers, deacons. They were like really, really influential in the church. They were older. And my two brothers who I wasn't raised with, they grew up in the church. So, you know, I would go over to their house and they would go every Sunday. Sometimes they were there on Saturdays. And like, so I I would say I wasn't directly raised in the church, but by way of my siblings, I was around enough to really know the aspects of it in faith and religion. However, I tell people all the time, and it's weird because I get a lot of debate. I've always felt like I never had a connection to God, believe it or not. Mm. Growing up, I just feel like there are people, and I mean, even when I went to college, I went to HBCU. We had a chapel on campus, and people would say things that they felt like they had a connection to God. Or they felt connected to God. They felt like God's presence around them. And I was an atheist, but I've always felt like I just, what to me, what did that feel like? Because I just felt like internally I never felt that connection. Now, I consider myself when I grew up predominantly Christian, because as most black people do, well, most that you know of in your own families predominantly are Christian, but yeah. I grew up in that denomination. It wasn't until maybe I moved to Boston in 2015 to where my faith was really tested. And I was really ready to do the internal work and look at, okay, I am black, but um, does that necessarily mean I have to be Christian? Or do I need to do a deeper feeling to understand what God is and what that faith means to me? So from there on, I went to actually start studying Buddhism um, in 2017, actually 2016, 2017. And from there, that journey has been still going on for four years. Why I would say I grew up Christian and I'm learning the methodology of Buddhism and I haven't converted to be a Buddhist, that has been somewhere in my walk of faith and looking at those practices and kind of applying them. Not necessarily mixing Christianity with Buddhism, but kind of using both as as a hint of a projection of my life. There's a couple of things that's really interesting in there, in in that story. So so let me start with this, because, you know, having grown up in church, I went to Catholic school. I grew up in a Baptist church. I was just kind of like surrounded by it, right? So atheism was like... 
I don't know, like uh, it was foreign. Like yeah. I, I, it was something we heard about, but but I never knew anyone particularly, right? And so, talk a little bit about the that conversion process, right? So you were around Christianity, but not necessarily practicing, mm-hmm. right? And then deciding, you know what, I don't believe any of this, and then saying, okay, well maybe I believe this over there. So how did you kind of? What was it that made those those pivotal turns for you? Well, it's funny that you say, you know, we were practicing it because growing up, and I even tell people all the time, when you're young, you really don't practice Christianity. It's something that's taught to you. Mm. So the same way how you're seven and eight years old and your mother turn the light on until you get dressed and we got to get ready to go to church and you're eight years old, you want to play the game. It's like, I'm going to this because my grandmother told me to go to this so my mom told me I got to get up on Sundays to go. You really don't go on your own will. It's kind of like a, this is the way it passes yeah. because I did this and my grandma did this to me. Mm-hmm. I think for me, the conversion, it was a hard one because, as you know, like being black, you know, you you predominantly, most people predominantly grow up being Christian. So the same, especially most who are Kojic or depending on what denomination you're a part of. So for me growing up um, or really doing my own research, I remember when I went to my parents and my family and I told them that I went to a Buddhist temple. And they're like, why'd you go to that? I'm like, well, I've been researching because not only did I research um, Buddhism, but I've gone to a mosque. Um, I have a close friend of mine who's Jewish and she's black. So I was really looking at all religions um, before just deciding like which one I really want to kind of study more. But, you know, like average black people, when you tell them something different, that's different from what they predominantly are used to, it becomes a challenge. Yes, sir. So internally, you know, it was a challenge because for me, you know, I grew up reading the Bible. I grew up saying, you know, believing in Jesus Christ and God and, you know, going to church and dressing up, and I mean that's the traditional way, to, and and by way really a ritual of most black people and what things you do on Sundays. But you know that was something that I felt like, well, let me go here and learn something different, not necessarily yet to convert, but just to go and look at see what they do differently. And it's funny because a lot of people when I first looked into Buddhism, I thought would be all um, Asian. Right. The temple I go here in Maryland um, is all black. That's really predominantly black. And these are black lawyers, black doctors, average black people who are just normal way of life, but they have been in it for 20, 30, 40 years and they've had the benefits into it. I'm like, well, let me study more. Like, I mean, I ain't going to rule it out, you know? Um, So that process has been an interesting process because I feel like it has allowed me to learn and to really, really self-reflect. So two things. One, I think we we, we might have to talk about this, uh, me, you, and Jamal in season two, because (laughs) I... I I haven't explored the way you just talked about exploring, but I had never even opened myself up to really understanding other religions until my post-2014 where everything kind of went dark. And then I became like, okay, well, if, if what I know ain't the answer, what is right? So then I started looking for other places. Now I've, 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 I've found myself, mm-hmm. right. But I think in that openness, I discovered uh, more about some really interesting philosophical things that Buddhism teaches that I think most people mm-hmm. don't grasp hold of because of that, you know, that, I don't know, stipulation, that kind of. That thing <laughs> everybody just assumes yeah. about it. So we we might have to talk about that later. But I think that's a good um, good transition to the last question. So the Bible talks a lot about prayer and meditation. 
And in the Christian church, I feel like just in general, we don't do a good job of distinguishing between the two and and how they're both valuable in our life. So you coming up with a a very non-traditional spiritual experience, what's your understanding of those two practices and how or if at all, do you use them? Um, And it's interesting. It's it's just so funny. Um, For me, like I was telling you how to have like that connection and not really having that connection. Prayer was really hard for me because growing up, I really didn't see it in my household. Ooh. So even really oh, realistic, message. even <laughs> even realistically, like when it was time to eat, and it's so funny how when you look back in certain things in your life, and you're like, "Hmm, that's interesting." Like I tell my friends all the time, we didn't even sit together at a dinner table in my family. It was very much my grandparents sat in their room and ate. My sister ate in her room. I ate in mine. There wasn't a traditional scope of like TV. We're all in the table. We're all saying grace. It wasn't that at all. Even so much because I grew up in a big family. So when all of us lived together in the house and it was time to eat, it literally was people plastered our place and they ate and that was it. There wasn't a prayer or there wasn't anything connected to that. So that what you think really is of, is of importance, that missing link, there wasn't, there wasn't there, you know. Mm-hmm. So when it was time for me to grow up and go to college and stuff, it's like I'm looking like, well, in a way, why do I got to do that? Because I didn't do it, you know? Yeah. So my friend's looking at me when it's time to eat, and it's funny because like, I, you I doing? laugh at it. Yeah. <laughs> they look at me like, well, you ain't going to say Grayson. You ain't going to do it. And I'm looking at them like, I'm hungry. I'm about to eat. Like, <laughs> Dude, I, and, I have witnessed those um, types of conversations. They are, they are funny. <laughs> I mean, I got into some heated debates. And even one of, you know, one of my law brothers is very religious. He wants to be a pastor. And like, I remember when we first pledged, he was really big on it. And I was not that person. He did not understand, like, how can I not really have the connection that he had? How can I say grace? And how, he just couldn't understand it. And, you know, when you're young, instead of really being adults and really trying to understand a person's scope and who they were pre-college mm-hmm. and what it made them to be where they are now, just automatically thinking, oh, if you don't do this, there's something wrong with you. You're just different. It's like, well, no, we all have our different upbringings. So um, as a result now to prayer and meditation, <clears throat> it's really weird because I meditate more than I pray. However, who said they both can't be synonymous? Right. Um, right. You know, who says they both they both can't, you, who says you can't pray and meditate at the same time? So again, it's just the, you know, the the learning and unlearning process that everything doesn't have to be traditional. You don't have to, you know, bow down and pray in order to pray. You can literally be walking and praying. You can literally be talking and walking down the street to yourself and pray. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be in a certain somewhat position to pray. Yeah. Um, or praying ultimately is to have a connection to God. Who's to say that connection doesn't have to be through um, praying, doesn't have to be through meditation, doesn't have to be through chakras or energy. It can be, it can be crystals. It can be a whole lot of different things. We just have to get through that learning and unlearning process. So that's why religion to me, I can have a, I can talk for days because I have my own. Um. Hey, that, that that look, that's that's why I think we're going to have to carry this over, because there's <laughs> I probably subscribe to some non-traditional uh, ideology as a result, like I said before, of my openness post 2014. But had I yeah. had, had I not had that kind of I don't know what I believe anymore moment. Right. Then I would have only been stuck in the blinders of what you grow up learning. And I mean, mm-hmm. I, not judging that because everyone subscribes to what they were surrounded by and what they were taught. And, you know, but there's always that understanding that there are other things out there and, and they're not necessarily wrong just because you yeah. don't yeah. subscribe to it. Right. So, yeah, yeah, I think 
I think there's a lot of there there. We might need to <laughs> explore some more later. But listen, folks, Leon has already shared some great insights and opened up some cans. I, I'm already putting pins and stuff that we're going to have to talk about later. But I want to switch gears just a little bit. So we talked about faith. Now I want to talk about feelings. Uh, this is often much harder for people to do. So this is where Brene Brown's teaching on vulnerability comes in handy. Now, I know you, so this ain't going to be an issue. Um, so although this can be a little bit messy, I think it's really important sometimes to dig into these uncomfortable feeling places so that people can get the healing that they need. So you ready to talk about feelings a little bit? Yeah, let's do it. So first and foremost, uh, what does mental health mean to you? And why should a larger number of people ultimately care about this topic? Like we're we're trying to make it very normalized now. uh, And I think the pandemic has helped with that. But like what 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 does it mean? And, you know, why why should people care? I think for me, at first, growing up, it didn't mean nothing. To me, now it means everything because in certain aspects, mental health is much more than just calling a person crazy. Mm. Um, or mental health is is, is is more than just a fine line. I mean, mental health can deal with how a person thinks, how a person acts, and even things being passed on generationally that has been an impact and influence about how your grandmother was raised and her thought process and how you react to certain things based on her experiences or their experiences. For me, it's really, really important because I have an aunt that's schizophrenic. I grew up in that in my family, and ultimately it wasn't, I felt like taken care of the way it should have been. I think if from just, I mean, being in the fam- a black family, but just in general, mental health really wasn't taken care of. And ultimately my own, you know, um, family, you know, when it come to ad- came to addiction and that ultimately playing a role within that. And I think for me growing up now, and seeing how a lot of black people are really scared to kind of go to therapy or really, I mean, this is so, even so much so when you try to have a common conversation about mental health and therapy, how much people shut down. And it's just like you're almost like you're they're just pretty much exiting the conversations if it's taboo. Yeah. Um, you know, I think 20 in 2021, we're a lot more open, but we have a lot, a longer way to go. I mean, I think until people are really comfortable enough to say, you know, what does mental health look to you or just so much so to kind of find the tools to really unpack a lot of things that they've gone through life. We just got some ways to go. And it means a lot to me now because I'm, I'm a talker now in my life. Cause at one point growing up, I was a brick wall, but yeah. I think with, um, with mental health and me looking at, looking at it from a different angle now, um, I appreciate it. I do. So, so, so I want to dig a little deeper, right? So one of the things I've said Mm -hmm. to, to, to everybody is I believe we're all one or two degrees of separation from somebody with a mental health complication that, that, that we're not talking about. Right. So I, I know for me and my circle of friends, it's become something that all of us are very comfortable having a conversation with, um, at this point, but that I don't think is the norm. And, And I agree with you, right? I think we're doing better, but Obviously, we we still have a long way to go. So so growing up with it around you, right? So like I'm doing a lot of research on trauma right now, and I you and I have had this conversation. So now I'm I'm asking you this publicly for the benefit of the group. Like yeah. growing up in that environment, I I think about schizophrenia, and I mean you think about the. Uh, the taboo stuff, right? The TV stuff, right? And you just kind of throw this 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 label of crazy on people. But what does growing up around that for real, right? What does that feel like, and how does how does that not impact you 
right? Because trauma impacts us in such a big way. Oh, I think it does in a number of ways. I think for me, from my experience in it, because everyone has their own experience, my cousins or my siblings whose mom it was, um, to even so much to dealing with my own mom who dealt with her own addictions and how in a way that affects mental health in a way. Like, because of a chemical imbalance, you act one way one day, you act one way the next. It can be angry or volatile or nice or mean. It just depends. And that within itself is a deal of a mental illness. I think for me, and it's weird because it's almost like you have to find ways to make it work Hmm. or to make it work enough for you to get through it to that day. And it's weird because you have to, I won't say weird, but you have to kind of almost act as if it's, it's happening, but you know that it's not to a point where it's like, okay, I know this I know this building is burning down beside me, but let me try to find somewhere that's the most coolest beside me to where I know this is going on, but I'm not really being burnt alive or I'm not really being burnt. I'm in a cool space. It's a little warm beside me, but I know that's going on over there, but I'm going to act like it's not because I'm not really there in the building in a weird analogy type of way. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, you just, I just learned growing up to deal with it. And I think that's really, again, when we talk about traumas, you learn to deal with things in certain ways. I think for me being an adult, I think I'm a person who tries to block everything out, but I focus on one thing, even though there's other things going on around me. I think that's as a result of dealing with things like that growing up. So for me, I know this growing uh, right now in my current life, I really put a lot into my work to try to block out the things that have probably gone on or have happened mm-hmm. as an escape to not realize, okay, well, you got this whole stuff going on right now, but you're really trying to avoid by dealing with this. Um, so in our, in our in my own way, I mean, I think tra- a lot of trauma, a lot of that has kind of impacted and influenced the way I move and the way I think. In certain ways. What, what changed how you chose to deal with those mental health challenges, right? Because... In my in my I guess experience and and even as a researcher, I say okay, somebody deeply embedded in it can decide I don't want to do I don't want to live like this, so I'm going to go this way, or they can normalize it right and and it just becomes a part of who they are. So you know, as someone who grew up in trauma, you can either shut down or act out, right? So how as someone who has built a wall to deal with everything right what makes you start to say as an adult who's got big goals and you know all of those mm-hmm. things who who understands the value of therapy you're right, all of that right yeah. what makes you say i've got to start what was the moment you were like i've got to start tearing some of these walls down i think for me really and it really was when i went to college um i remember when i first went to college like those first First three months were very pivotal for me because I was leaving D.C. and I was going to school in Atlanta. And I didn't realize it going to school at first, but everybody used to always say, you look mean. Like, you just look mean all the time or you look like you have an attitude or you just have this very, like, wall, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you're young, the first thing you say is, oh, I mean, that's how I was raised. Like, that was my famous line growing up. That's how I was raised and I just was raised by people who were mean and I just had this hard stature about myself. But it wasn't until maybe like that first year I really sat back and I'm like, well, why do people think? I mean, because I ne- and that half the time people I didn't know is just the way people presented your perception. Yeah. A lot of times. And it wasn't until I was 18 years old and I had a friend of mine who went to school. I'm still friends with today. And, and he was like, have you ever thought about going to therapy or talk about why people or talk to someone to ask like why people think that you're mean? Like, have you ever talked or actually want to go there? And I'm like. I don't need to go to therapy. I'm just young. like, I'm, I don't got nothing going on to me like that. You know, it's just people just think I mean, I don't even know me, you know, trying to find a reason not to look at it. But 
I had to really do that self look. And when I went, I learned a lot, you know, and I learned to it's okay to have a smile on your face. It's okay to not walk outside with the world of your problems that someone else may have given to you or someone else's problems being dumped on you. And you have to walk around with that burden. A lot of that, which I did, you know, going to school, I was still dealing with the problems of my family that they were dealing with in D.C. And even from the past traumas of growing up, you know, in certain environments. And it wasn't until I told myself, well, I need to go to therapy myself and no one else um, is when I really started to unpack and to understand that I don't have to walk around with an angry disposition or to be mad or be angry. And um, it's helped me a lot. I tell myself all the time, I'm glad I went away to school and I was I'm glad I was able to do that because my own siblings, I can tell the damages of them not doing it hmm. um, and still being angry and still carrying a lot of the baggage that we had to deal with or probably seeing growing up. So. I wish someone would have told me in college I needed to go to therapy. <laughs> I was so far though, from know, being open yeah. to that back then. <laughs> yeah. I I was barely barely ready to hear that in my twenties. Like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> and I still, you know, people tell me still I need to go still, but I think that was the first time I think I've ever heard the word like therapy. You need to go. And it's crazy because of, on my campus, it was free. And it's weird because I I remember not they probably weren't supposed to tell me but I remember when I first started going the first session I went to I didn't talk, I did not talk the entire time like literally I was there um, because I was an RA it was it was free for all students but because I was an RA they allowed me to go like for free and then on top of that like I was able to go like multiple times instead of because I think you got three sessions a, a semester okay because I was an RA they let me go like whenever I wanted to. Um, first session, I was completely silent. She literally just stared at me and was just looked in the book. Like every 10 or 15 minutes, she would just look up. I guess she waited. For- and I remember once I finally broke and started really discussing um, and talking with her, I remember I asked her, I'm like, well, out of a whole campus of maybe 4,000 students, how many people really use the services of the mental health and more so the therapy, like counseling services on campus? And I don't even think she was supposed to tell me, but it was like 14. Huh. Out of 4,000 students, only 14 people were signed up to use it. You That's know, to use scary. And it's free. Very scary. And it's crazy. Yeah, free. It was absolutely free. And it was, and you know, it's crazy. I still talk to her to this day, but um, she wasn't a person. She wasn't one of those people like, okay, it's a free service. She's just doing the bare minimum. No, she was a real actual therapist. Like she yeah. really was like licensed and like really, she does like life coaching now, but she really was the real deal in Atlanta. Um, you know, but students just didn't know about it and there were some students that were really coming to college with a lot of stuff on their plate and there's people who had things going on but they just didn't know about it so man i mean that's just that just goes to show you that we can have access to the resources we need and and not be able to access them right for whatever reason like i the adult version of me cannot comprehend having access to free therapy and not taking advantage of it. But the 18 year old version of me probably would have been one of the students who didn't. It just, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it hurts, (laughs) but man, so, so you talk, talk to me then about like how you really healed. Right. Because, like like I tell like I tell a lot of people first of all it's 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 hard to access these difficult memories and traumatic mm-hmm. you know experiences and all of that and then after you become 
comfortable accessing them, it's a whole nother thing to share it, right? And just hearing yeah. a small fraction of what you had around you growing up and, and how difficult that was. And to see what you've been able to do now and know, you know, a little bit about where you're headed. I think it's valuable for people to know, you know, what steps and 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 what challenges even you had in making that that mm-hmm. journey that transition. So, talk about your healing process, man. Um, my healing process was a lot because it took a lot of work, and it wasn't a one person thing. So, and I'm you know I share it all the time because I talk to students. You know, my mom dealt with addiction even currently. You know, I my grandparents raised me, but my mom has dealt with addiction and still do. My mom was pregnant. Was was addicted to drugs for all of her pregnancies. Thank God, nothing like cognitive happened to me or my siblings or anything. So from the age of being birth to, to almost twenty nine years, you know, I've dealt with that. So a lot of the healing and the trauma and not and the abandonment issues of not having a actual parent, more so because I don't know my birth father either. But having a parent and having to be raised by grandparents, even though you grow up in a household, but it's like if you don't have a parent, it's different. It's a completely different dynamic. So that caused a lot of, unbeknownst to me, now going to therapy, understanding trauma, abandonment issues, isolation issues. Um, you know, that took a lot of work, uh, dealing with addiction and my mom being in the, being an addict. It's a healing process. I've healed, but it's still an everyday healing process yeah. because you have to still live through that. Right. So for me, it took a lot of conversation with myself and also with my mom that was not easy. COVID really brought that out though, to be honest, because when you're in a house, you know, she was living with us while we were doing the pandemic. When you are with the house and there is nowhere to go, you can't go anywhere, naturally things will come out, right? You're around people for 24 hours. <laughs> you know, I just moved it's back home, truth. so I'm literally learning people all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm learning people all over again because when you're in everyday life, you're moving, you're working. I'm literally grown at this point. So I'm literally going to work, coming home and coming home and going to sleep. Like you just like two shifts passing at the night. But when you're really in a house with someone, you are really learning them, especially a person that didn't raise you. So it's almost in a way like you're learning them all over again. Yeah. So there are certain triggers and things that make you upset that you see. And then you realize well, this has been going on for 20 plus years. And it's annoying to me that <laughs> it has not been dealt with or addressed. So that took a lot of work. It took a lot of anger. Um, and it took a lot of maturity because I, to have to sit there and have to have those real conversations with people who don't and are not ready to have them and to not deal with them within self first, not even with your family or your kids, with self. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like almost knocking down a, a wall built with metal that has sheetrock over it, literally. So, <laughs> so I just got that visual. Superman <laughs> Literally, the Superman can't even break through. It's like yeah. you're trying to talk to someone that's just like, I'm not even ready to deal with that myself. And you yeah. had that conversation with me. So I know I'm not going to have it with you as my, as my child. That takes, it takes, a, it takes a lot of work. And it's one of those things where it's like to heal through that. You have, I had to myself have that conversation with myself. Um, I had to do a lot of self-reflection, which where Buddhism came into because of the exercises that they give us. I had to really, really um, look into those. And honestly, I color a lot. I tell people I color a lot. Um, that really helps me with focus, anxiety, and like really like, trying to stay focused and concentrated. It helps me out a lot. So I'm um, not going to even lie. I bought an adult coloring book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I sell with my color pencils sometimes. It is very therapeutic. So everybody judge us can shut up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. 
Listen, TS Strong community, Leon has got us warmed up, and I, I'm I'm very excited about uh, the rest of this conversation. But I, I want to switch gears to the controversy now. So when I first conceptualized this uh, podcast and this project, it was specifically about mental health. But in conversation and as the topic started to kind of come through, uh, you know, that friend filter, it really kind of expanded to something a little bit more broader, and that's the this idea of the tension between faith and feelings. So I actually want to to j- uh, shine a light on that controversy. Uh, are you still willing to help me do that, man? Absolutely. So, so prior to COVID-19, um, I think the church was not really doing a great job of talking about mental health. Now, thank God mm-hmm. that is changing in a very, very major way. Um, but what do you think? I mean, when you think about that tension and, and, and all of the reasons there is tension there, what do you think uh, should be the relationship between faith and, the, and our feelings, the way we feel? Um, I mean, I have my own type of mindset of what I feel church should be. I think it needs to be a completely new model from what it was traditionally. The word church to me, to me personally, should be the embodiment of what people think God is. There is no physical image. However, we all have our own interpretation. So I think that church in its own self should be that within its own way. I think we have gotten so used to the idea of what church looks like, right? Like you go there, you sing the songs, you dress up really nice, you may eat depending on the Sunday you go to and, you know, you give tithes. I mean, all of that. However, I feel like we've lost a sense of touch of what church should be about. And that is, you know, people coming as they are and going there and also understanding that you, myself and whoever, we all have our own problems before we walk through that door. And while the word is supposed to give us a almost a sense of relief and a sense of passion to help us. A lot of times we all leave church or and within past of what I've seen, we all leave church and do nothing to what we're taught for those six days until we go back to the house. <laughs> so <laughs> don't, don't talk about the so, people. <laughs> well, not talk about them, but you know, it's the truth. You know, and I think from a mental yeah. health aspect, um, you know, there are people with a lot of problems and I feel like why can't church be a therapy session? Why can't it? Why can't one service literally be a therapy session? Why, I mean, there is a pastor, but why can't a church service, why can't a pastor invite a therapist and literally for that hour or two or three, however many, they literally talk about the problems that black people face or are facing in 2021, all the traumas that we've dealt with. Who says church has to be traditional in the sense that it has to be a certain structure every Sunday? You know? Ooh, you, all right. So you throwing some controversial ideas out there. Uh, let <laughs> Let me let me push back push this this back to you. So, obviously, the, the model is changing somewhat re- by force, right? Because yeah. every once people realized that for over a year they could have a relationship with God at home, then they realized they could have a relationship <laughs> with God at home. So <laughs> it it kind of forces churches to do things differently, but. Let's just look at what things were in the in the old model. There was a ministry for everything. So are are you saying in a way there should have there should be a ministry for that? Or are you just saying that the church should find ministry, you know, in a in a sense of the service right in the, the, the space of mental health? Literally, I think it should. 
because I think that um, I think they should find it within that space. I think that you know it's cool to have a certain, not necessarily organization or something that deals with it inside the church, maybe outside of the service. But I think the model in which the service is ran, centered around, should be focused more on that. I mean, I feel like there are so many things outside. I mean, things that are going on in the black community that is really. I mean, mental health is a really big thing right now, and I really feel like. A lot of times we go there, we hear the word of God, people hear it, they, you know, they, they receive it, they catch the spirit of it. But what is that doing to help you walk out of there and understand what you need to do while still having that practice and that faith in God? But what is it? You got to do the work. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we know that people are really, especially black Americans, are really tied to the church. However, we are scared to go to therapy. So the one way to do that will be to bring it in the house that we know the people. I mean, black people are not going anywhere from the church. So if you bring that same idealism or that same practice into the church, we know for a fact it will not only bring two worlds together, but it will also bring a sense of comfortability, you know, to a person to say, you know what? Hey, you may be scared to go in a traditional setting of setting up, a, setting up an appointment to go to a therapist and sitting on a couch. But you can get the same type of thing sitting in this pew while still getting the word of God and still, you know, being with the Lord. So. All right. So so the nature of this dialogue is the the Christian church. So I think in general, when I say the church, I'm talking about the Christian church. Yeah. So as somebody who has uh, experienced, who has studied, who has researched other religions, how would you compare right? Your experiences in those places as it relates specifically to mental health in comparison to at least what you remember of the Christian church? Um, What I remember, so from my experience within going to a Buddhist temple, from my experience of going to a Christian, I'll say Christian church, Baptist or Christian, let's say that. There are some differences. There are a lot of similarities, but there were some differences. I feel like me going to a temple has been more calming in a way. Um, and then it's just my own interpretation because I don't want to cause any controversy, but it's just my Hey, man, own. that's the name of the show. Do your thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel like, you know, when I've gone to a Buddhist temple, there has been more of a sense of you're here to really learn a lesson. While the Christian has the same message, um... At times, I feel like people are more concerned about the people around them in the church and who's around them seeing the word versus just going there to really get it and internalize it yourself. Mm. And that can be whether with what you dress and how you dress, what you gave in tithes or offerings, how you contribute to the church versus just really taking the message you're supposed to receive during that service and going on for those next however many days and really applying it to your life. And with Buddhism, um, or my practice and my experiences with it, I've left out of there feeling, okay, I got this something I need to work on. And not only doing that, but they're giving me work, not workshops, but exercises to practice throughout the week to kind of get me to that lesson to understand what I need to do. Hmm. So, so is it in my interpretation. No, that's, that's fair. So it, do, do you think it is more the presentation like is, is it content what they're saying or is it presentation how they're saying it right what, what do you think um has really led to that difference in terms of you feeling more like you walked out of the temple temple with something that you could use right because i think most churches 
assume that when they are delivering that word, they're delivering it so that people can go put it into practice. Mm -hmm. I I also understand that that's not always true. Right. But I I think in general, that's the attempt. So from, from your experience, then what, what do you think is the, the, the determination factor? Like what's, what is different, the content or the, the presentation? I think it's a lot of presentation. I mean, the con- when you think about it in layman's terms, the content is all the same. You're both you're going there, you're receiving the word, how you digest it and internalize it is on from your own interpretation. Um, I think when it comes to the presentation or the delivery, it's different, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, I think a lot more of the lessons are more centered around, and maybe it's just my own interpretation, but you know. The now Buddhism, I think, is more, or from my own experiences with it, it's more of, okay, this is what's going on in your life right now. What are you doing to achieve it? This is a lesson that we want to practice and kind of center around that to me. Whereas I felt a lot of times Christianity was more, you know, I read a quote or I read a, a scripture, you know, it's not necessarily vague or open ended. But then the person internalizes it and see how they can connect to it. It's just two different things. And maybe it's just me but from my own interpretation of how I experienced it in my 28 years of life. But that's how I perceived it. Because it's all the same thing. You're both getting two of the same different type of words, but you're going to internalize them to your own way. But the presentation is how do I want it? How do I like it being presented? Do I like it being presented in a traditional way setting like this? Or do I like it more in a way of, of in this way? So Yeah. That's good, man. I, I, I hope even even for the people who may be hearing what you're saying and disagree, I, I hope that it shines a light on different ways we can look at things. I, when I became curious, what interested me in in Buddhism was the grounding of now. Um, I talk yeah. a lot about getting into Eckhart Tolle and and the power of now. And one of the things that I struggled most with in my own desire to address my mental health issues was I either labored over fixing the past or labored over getting where I wanted to be in the future. And that gave me nothing to give to the present moment. And yeah. so trying to force myself away from the past and away from the future into now was hard. And so I think that that kind of goes to what you're talking about. Like when, when I go get a message that says, how do I live now? <laughs> Not about how I used to live or want to live. What's up with today? And I, that's a valuable message no matter where you are or 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 what you believe because now is all that matters. <laughs> Nicole, yeah. uh I did a I did an interview with a good friend of mine who's also a, a clinical uh psychologist and she she the title of her message is uh the moment you analyze the past, the present, it is the past. So the moment yeah. you think about you trying to figure out what just happened, it's it's now back here, so it doesn't matter anymore. That's a rough <laughs> thing for people it's to wrap a, their arms it's around. Really rough because it's, like, it's, it's almost like you know you're constantly thinking, okay, what do I need to do to present my to help with my future? But your past is going to always be there, right? So it's one of those things. Was like regardless of how you think your your future is going to be predicted, there are certain ways and certain experiences that you dealt with in your past that will ultimately shape how your future will be. Mm-hmm. So. That's good, man. So, so, so let me, let me wrap it up here. 
What, when you think about the future, right? Because obviously you mentioned this and I agree wholeheartedly things, the model of, of people's church experience, spirituality, all of that is it's shifting as we come up out of this pandemic, Very, things have to look yeah. different, right? So what do you think is the future of faith and feelings? Like should, should the church ultimately find ways to come meet people? Should people find a church or a church experience that meets them where they are? Like what is that ultimate pull and tug in, in your opinion, as we move forward? I think the church is changing as much as the mind is changing, honestly, because in 20, who would have thought in 2021 that most people are not only thinking it, but they are saying that they don't have to go to a church to receive the word of God. I remember growing up and like maybe in the, because, and I think it's a generational thing too, because in the 50s, 60s and 70s, they had to hold on to God because of so much that was going on with them, right? Yes. From, from racism and slavery, they had to, right? Not to say we still don't deal with that today, but there isn't much for us to really, society has changed so much to where it's like, we are able to be more free thinking. So when you're in like in the seventies, eighties and nineties, if you're a child and you tell your parents, your grandparents, I don't want to go to church. That's not, I don't feel like I need to go to church. They're going to tell you, no, you're going right. Versus in 2021, it's like, okay, well, you know, I don't have to go to church to receive the word of God. I can do that from my home or I can, I can do that from my own place. I don't have to go to a physical body. Um, I think the church will change as much as the mind will change it. And I think that in it has to be a two-way street. So just as much as the members have a different way of thinking, so does the people who are like the pastor or people that are over the church. There has to be some um, collaboration. I think a person, if I were a person that was running a church or running a house of God, because it doesn't have to necessarily even be Christian, Buddhism or whatever, it can be free thinking or whatever. I would look at, you know, Ultimately, my members, what do I need to do to keep my members to have a to be faith based um, and to also feel the presence of God around them? And how can I do that? That can be through mental health. That can be through therapy. That can just be through normal conversation, just coming and expressing how do I feel? and What did I deal with this week alone? We've lost touch of that. It's just mm-hmm. okay. we go. We, we do the word of God. We preach. We sing. We go home. But have you actually asked your member how they're doing it when they walk in the door? Right. So, but not that know, real just, churchy. How you doing? A real one, <laughs> For literally. You know, like no, really. How are you doing? Right? Because I always literally. tease about like, our church, our churchisms. Blessed of the Lord and highly favored. You know, <laughs> how are you? There are people who probably didn't have gas money to even get to church, yeah. or who lights maybe off when they're there. You know, it's just so. How are you? And I think we've lost touch of that. You know, so much. So we just we. We've gotten through the ritual of, okay, I know I got to dress well. I know I got to sing this Sunday. I know I got to be there. I know I got to get my ties. But how are you and how are your members? And how are they to stay in con- We are in some very different times right now. So how are you staying mentally sane, you know, to keep, I mean, and to, and to stay prayed up and to, and to have faith? Whoo, Leon. <laughs> this is good, man. Um, look, I, I firmly believe the controversial nature of this conversation means it could go on forever. Uh, my guess yeah. is the T.S. Strong community will uh, at some point tune us out and find other things to do because they busy or they got, you know, problems of uh, they own. So as we start to uh, wrap things up, man, I want you to consider any parting words of wisdom you may have and any resources uh, that you would like to share with the community. So are you ready for our final three questions? Absolutely. 
So, Leon, what are your final words of guidance that current and future TS Strong community members absolutely need to hear? Um, Final words of guidance to me would be in this current stage of my life right now to not necessarily live in the moment, but understand that there are some things that are beyond our control. I think so many times we get wrapped up in the moment of, okay, I have to, I, we get stressed out worrying about so much that's going on around them until we, where we don't really enjoy life and where we are in the present. So with my guiding parts of words with, of wisdom would be to, to just live and not necessarily just exist, to worry about all the factors of things we have to do when we first open our eyes until we close them, but to understand and appreciate where we are in the moment of our lives. Cause it's so short. I mean, it can end tomorrow. I think so many times we get so wrapped up on the environment and what's going on around us until really and not really appreciating that we still have life in our bodies. So that's just one of the words, you know. That's real good, man. Are there any books or other resources that are relevant to this topic that you think our listeners should check out? Yeah, so there's a book that um, that I've read when I was in college and I try to read a couple, two books, actually, that I try to read that I tell everyone to try to read because it'll give you a different interpretation of life. One of them is called The Invisible Man. Um, I read that when I was in college and it really, um, it changed my way of thinking because it was a book that made you look into interpretation um, based on the person's life and the many experiences they went through. But it's, you don't really know if it's a man or a woman or if they're black or they're white. I mean, because it's so, it's very, you got, it makes you think, right? Mm-hmm. And it also make, it makes you look at how do people, how are you in society and where do you think you fit in society, even so much so are you just a normal dot or how do you contribute to life within itself? Um, and Who's the that by? Book to me, oh, who is it by? I haven't read, I mean, I forgot who that author was. It's called <laughs> The Invisible Man. It's, it took place in like early, early, like late 1800s going into 1900s. That's cool. I'm going to look it up. Um, We're going to find it for the people. <laughs> Um, and then another book, well, my second book would be, um, The Alchemist. I don't know if anyone has ever read that, but it's The Alchemist. Um, I really liked it. I'm actually, my line name is actually The Alchemist. So, um, but that's a book that I read when I was in, going into school, we had to read that for my honors program. And I mean, that completely changed my, I like philosophical type of books like that randomly, but, um, it really like I really like that. And then my third book that I'm reading now, currently that I've recently just read, was the Secret Teachings of Teaching of Ages by um, Manly P. Hall. Hmm. That's some good stuff, y'all. Don't don't forget that you can go to the show notes page, uh, grab the link to any of these books and resources, check them out. Uh, believe me when I tell you that uh, a lot of my guests have been sharing some really great books, some of which I had already known about, some of which. I have had to go grab because they said it was fantastic and I have not been disappointed yet. So you guys go and grab those three books. Um, Leon, this is a funny question right here. Are you working on anything (laughs) that you want any of our listeners to check out and ultimately support you on? Um, I'm working on a couple of things. So um, I do freelance PR. Um, so I am a publicist by trade. I currently have a client. She's a singer, but I do um, I work in the field of PR, so media placement, booking, brand management, that whole thing. Um, however, outside of that, something I've been working on really for the last two years, and I've been kind of selling it low key, but I'm really getting ready to like really market it. I have my own detergent company that I have my own laundry detergent and soap powder. So 
I want y'all to know that I just found this out recording this interview. Okay. I've talked to this brother many times and I know nothing about no detergent. (laughs) We gonna have to dig into that. Yes. Yeah, so I'm in the process of really pushing that at the top of the year. So Yes. Um, Black yeah, business, baby. Yeah, so that'll be like my real, I guess you could say, I mean, I got my own business, but that'll be like a real, real business. I've been thinking about generational wealth and something to leave behind. It's something that really can grow. So And um, multiple streams. Yes. <laughs> I love it. And and as I mentioned before, you all, Leon is a member of the team. Uh, he is a part of some of the work that we are doing as we start planning for season two and, and our uh, in-person, all of the different things that we are doing to support mental health, to uh, advocate for mental health, and to also ultimately make the conversation about mental health normal. So uh, I am excited that Leon has been a part of it and is uh, doing great work on the side and all the great work that we're doing together, y'all. I Please, whatever whatever he is doing, go support it. Go support it. All right. <laughs> Leon, man, thank you so much, brother. Thank you for sharing your insights, some some controversial uh, feelings and thoughts and all of that jazz, man. I hope that people will be uh, blessed by, by your story. I hope so, too. I really do. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, um, yeah. So, all right. Trauma survivors, trauma supporters. To all of you, the T.S. Strong community, thank you once again for listening to another episode of the Controversy Podcast. I don't know if you are jumping in for the very first time or if you are a return listener. Either way, we are more than halfway through the season one now, and I am very, very excited to have you as a listener. So whether it's your first time or you are a returner, I'm going to ask you to please click that like button, click that share button, subscribe, rate, and review the show. We are actively working on season two, getting ready to share some new content, working on some new strategies and other ways to engage our community. So I look forward to reading some of your comments. I look forward to hearing some of your feedback and making the show an even more engaging place for all of you trauma survivors, trauma supporters, and people who know what it's like to struggle with, to deal with issues of mental health. Now, if you are not already a part, I'd like to invite you to the community on Facebook. It is called A Safe Place, where trauma survivors and trauma supporters are gathering to share resources, to share ideas, and to share testimonies about the things that we are all going through, that we have all been through, and supporting each other on how we can make it to our next level. So I look forward once again to seeing you around the community. Thank you guys once again for for checking out the show. And I hope to see you again next time. Peace.